be opening up your Bibles, if you would, to the uh, third chapter of the book of First Thessalonians. And since you're in the third chapter, you probably won't be far from the last few verses of the second chapter, so that's really where kind of, we're going to kind of start, because that's where we left off last week. So, let me get ready here. All right. So, we were talking last week uh, in the second chapter, and we were talking about the fact that uh, Paul was concerned and just as a, just as a slight uh, refresh or overview, remember now, according to Acts 17, Paul has come to Thessalonica. He's established a church. The Jews have come into town and they've raised a ruckus. And so Paul is forced to leave. And he goes to where? After he leaves Thessalonica, where does he go? He goes to Berea goes to Berea. And the Berean Christians were different. What does the Bible say about the Berean Christians? That they're so much different. They were more noble than those of Thessalonica because they did what? They searched the scriptures daily to see if the things that were being said were so. And so what we know now is that Paul had to leave Berea and he had to leave quickly because the Jews had followed him from Thessalonica to Berea and they were raising a ruckus there. And they were, getting people to, they were getting people into the streets. And you can read Acts 17 to see kind of all the things that happened uh, in Thessalonica and the things that happened in Berea. But Paul was forced to flee from Berea. Now from Berea, you may, you may lose it in context here, but Paul left Berea. Paul and, and I'm sorry, Silas and Timothy remained in the area. They remained in the area of Thessalonica. But Paul went where? Where did Paul go after this? He left and went to... He went to Athens. If you read the last part of chapter 17 in Acts, he's back in Athens. Now in Athens, this is where, and you're familiar with this, this is where he goes to the Areopagus, And he gives the sermon that talks about what? The, the unknown God. So he's preaching to the Greeks in Athens and soon to go to Corinth, which is where he is at the beginning of the writing of uh, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. So... About 51, uh, about 51 A.D. And again, I'll bring, uh, bring this to mind that he, uh, that this is the first book uh, that Paul wrote. This is the first gospel uh, account or the first uh, letter, treatise, that he wrote to a, a new church. So, he's, this church is very, very dear to him. This church is very close to him. This is one of the early churches that he, this is one of the early churches that he's worked with. He has a fondness, he has an affection for this church. And so he spent chapter 1 talking about how others see them from the outside, this church in Thessalonica. How do others view you from outside? In chapter 2, he talks about now inwardly, how do, how do you see yourselves or how do, you, uh, how do you put on this Christian attitude to the world and how the gospel came to them and how he worked with them. He didn't ask for money. He worked and toiled with them, uh, being a tent maker. And so we get down to the bottom and he says in verse 15, you suffered the same things by your own countrymen as they did by the Jews. So he's making this comparative in chapter 2 verse 14 that they have suffered the same things. 
And he goes on to say, who killed the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and persecuted us harshly. So all of this persecution is coming by way of the Jews. The Jews who want it to be said that it's okay to be a Christian, but you have to be a Jew, you have to be a Jew to be a Christian. You, you can't be a Christian separate and apart from being a Jew. And Paul is saying, no, that's not right. He's saying they're persecuting us because of our beliefs that Christianity is, is this new way. This is the kingdom uh, that Jesus promised. They displease God, he says, and are opposed to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. Well, the Jews didn't want the Gentiles not to be saved. They just wanted them to become Jews, which is not what Jesus wanted. And so there's a, there's a divide of opinion here. The Jews want one thing. Jesus wanted to establish or did establish his own kingdom. And now the Jews are giving uh, everyone, including Paul, all these problems. You remember in the, in the book of Acts early on, there was a great persecution that arose in Jerusalem. And the Christians were scattered and they went everywhere preaching the word. And so Christianity is spreading like wildfire. In fact, they were even accused in the book of Acts of turning the world upside down for this new religion. And so this is, these are all the things that they're suffering. These are all the things that they're suffering just as, just, as the, uh, just as your own countrymen as they did the Jews. They forbid us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. They always fill up the measure of their sins. Wrath has come to them at last. And wrath we talked about last week is going to be in two forms. Not only the day of the Lord when he comes back, when he returns, which is something that Paul spends a lot of time talking about in the latter portion of 1 Thessalonians and an extensive amount of time talking about in 2 Thessalonians, but also this wrath to come which is going to come upon them much sooner. Remember this is 51 AD. Jerusalem is going to be destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. And, no, no, and there are no Christians because of what Jesus said in Matthew 24, because of what he said in Matthew 24, there's not a Christian left in town. Because they knew what was coming. Jesus had preached about it. They had been reminded of it. If you read, uh, if you read in uh, uh, one of Paul's writings uh, uh, or at Hebrews where he says, not forsaking the assemblings of yourself together, then much the more as you see, what? The day... The day approaching, the day is 70 A.D. This is written very closely to the time when the Romans would come and destroy Jerusalem. So when he says, you see the day approaching, don't forsake the assembly because you've got to get out. Josephus tells us that, that all of the Christians fled. When the Romans took Jerusalem, there weren't, there weren't any Christians in, left. They had all fled. They all knew that the day had, the day had come. And those that were left in the town were those who, were, those who were, were wiped out. And so he says, that wrath has come to them at last, both the wrath of AD 70 and the wrath of God's final judgment. Their cup is being filled up. They always fill up the measure of their sins. Their cup of wrath, God's cup of wrath is being filled up. And once it reaches 70 AD, his cup is full and destruction comes on them. So verse 17 is where we left off last week. Brothers, though we have been separated from you for a time in face, not in heart, we have striven more diligently with intense desire to see your face. There are a lot of people that are on vacation this week and they're not here this morning. And there are some that are here this morning that are away from their home congregations. But they are there with their home congregations just like our folks are in spirit with us here this morning. 
And it's the same for you when you go away on vacation. Sunday morning comes and you're at a congregation where you're visiting. Uh, this happened to us when we visited a few years ago. We were out in Kansas City and we visited a congregation there. But I couldn't help thinking about Lehman Avenue while I was there. Oh, it's, uh, it's, you know, they, they, have, they have Bible study before church. So it's just a little different. And so I was thinking as I was in Bible study that morning now, you know, I know what's going on at Lehman Avenue right this very minute. So it's about a quarter till, and we're probably doing the Lord's Supper right now. Oh, it's 10 o'clock. The preacher's probably just getting up into the pulpit. Oh, it's 1030. It's time to, for announcements and time to go to class. Oh, it's 1130. Now I'm hungry. <laughs> so you know when you're away from home how you feel about your home congregation. Paul, when he establishes these congregations, feels that affinity for every congregation that he helped establish. If you've worked out in the field, working with people at, at building congregations or starting up congregations, as this congregation has done over the years with uh, Alvaton and some of, the, some of the other congregational works that we've had, you know that, you know that these, these congregations that are the seeds of, of this congregation are dear to our heart. And there's no different with Paul. It's no different with Paul than it is with us. So we're separated from you for a time, but we have striven more diligently with intense desire to see your face. You know, they, he couldn't get on a bus. He couldn't get on a plane and go to all these places. He had to walk. They walked everywhere. And so he's so desirous of being able to see them. But there's a very interesting statement that he makes in verse 18. We wanted to come to you. I, Paul, indeed, more than once, Paul wanted to come to them. But what happened? But Satan hindered us. Now, how is that possible? This is Paul. This is Paul. This is Paul. This is the man. This is the man who, you know, is, he's, I mean, he's everywhere. He's, he's everywhere doing all this. And, and Satan is hindering him. How is, how is it possible that Satan hinders him? The larger question is, how does Satan hinder us today? How does Satan hinder us today? Thoughts? Okay, he's the ruler of the world, of this world, okay. Okay. But how does he hinder us? He's the ruler of the world. He has abilities, okay. He has the ability to do what? How does he hinder you? How does he hinder you from, from, from spreading the gospel? How does he hinder you from coming to church? How does he hinder you in your everyday life? He sows doubt in your mind. Temptation. You wake, ever wake up in the, on Sunday morning and think, oh, i got to get ready to go to church. Don't want to be here. Don't feel like it. Had a rough week last week. I'm worn out. I had a procedure on Wednesday. I'm okay. Sometimes you wake up on Sunday mornings and church is the furthest thing from your mind. But you do what you have to do and you get here. Because you know how important this is. But Satan can hinder you. Satan can put something in your mind. Remember, every decision that you come to is a fork in the road, right? You can make a decision to do this, or you can make a decision to do this. But who's standing in the fork of the road? Satan's standing there. Satan's standing there, and he's trying to get you to make the wrong decision. That's all he needs to do, to get you to make that one wrong decision. And then it's just, and then it's just a, it's a rolling snowball of bad decisions. And pretty soon, he's got you where he wants you. And we've talked about this on any occasion before. Satan, Satan doesn't want anything to do with you. He, he doesn't want you. He has no interest in you at all. What's the one thing that Satan wants to do? 
He wants to separate you from God. If he can separate you from God, he's one. Doesn't care, doesn't give doodly squat about you. He just wants to separate you from God. If he can do that, he wins. Okay? So Satan hindered him. How did Satan hinder him? This is, this is really one of the true, I think, signs of inspiration of Scripture. Because, you know, we just don't get every answer that we want. You know, we don't know what the hindrance was. Was it civil? Was it some kind of persecution? Was it something where um, he missed the boat, didn't get, on, didn't get on the boat and couldn't come, and then some other things happened? We don't know. But the important thing to understand here is Satan hindered him, but only within what? Certain parameters. Read the book of Job. Satan can only, Satan can only harm us within certain parameters because God's going to say, no, no, don't do that. Satan works only by what he can do according to what God gives him the permission to do. God's providence is what kept Paul from coming back to Thessalonica. Paul never makes it back to Thessalonica, as far as I can see in, 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 in Scripture. He never makes it back to Thessalonica. Man, he wants to go bad. He wants to go real bad. He loves this congregation. He has so much affection for this congregation. He prays for this congregation like he does all the congregations, but he has, he has so much affection for this congregation. When it is our hope or joy and crown of exaltation before our Lord Jesus at his coming, is it not you? You are our glory and our joy. And so as he finishes up this, this, this second chapter, he's telling them that there's joy to come. There's a crown to come. There's hope, the anchor of the soul. There's hope and there's joy. And all of this, there is identity, recognition, beyond the grave. Paul says so right here. You are our glory and our joy. The exaltation that we will see when the Lord Jesus comes back, is it not you? So he lives for the day. He can't get to him. Satan has hindered him. He can't get to visit this church that he loves so much. But he tells him, that doesn't bother me and that doesn't worry me because there's a time coming when we will be together. And we'll be together when the Lord returns. And this is a constant theme of Paul's throughout the book of First and Second Thessalonians. Christ be, if God be for us, who can be against us? Well, even during Jesus, even during Jesus' time on earth, things were said to him, and at one point he turned to one of the apostles, and said, "Get thee behind me, Satan!" So Satan, you know, Satan, he, he came and tempted even Jesus. I mean, he was looking, he was looking for any kind of an end that he could get, and you know, he didn't succeed. But Satan knows Scripture; he's quoted Scripture before. He knows Scripture. So, you know, he's going to send, he, he's going to appear as an angel of light to some. 
and he's going to deceive them and he's going to appear to us and hinder us in various ways and we just have to be aware of his of his of what he does how he can get to us and then we have to just we just have to make sure that that we have God on our side and and we're living prayerful lives and we're doing the things that we should do yes ma'am Sure he can. Sure he can. Yeah. Oh, he is. I mean, he's been he's been described as he's been described as being, uh, you know, being very crafty. I, I was watching a television show last week, and it was a show about uh, a group of people. I won't say who they are, but I'm, you can you can put the dominoes together. Um, there's a group of people who believe that their leader uh, talked with God, talked with him, talked with him every day. And, uh, you know, he said, uh, you know, if he told a, a young woman who maybe was underage, uh, God wants me to, uh, to be your husband, um, they would just go along with it. And, you know, I, I, was just, I was just sitting there and the scriptures were just running through my head about, about no, 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 that, you know, that's not scriptural what he, you know, that's, not, that's criminal what he's doing. It's not, only, it's not only not scriptural, it's criminal. And he ended up going to, he ended up going to jail um, for, all of these, for all these people that he deceived for so many years. He and his father before him, who was the prophet of God. And there have been so many instances of this where these people, these people are so deceived by Satan that they believe that they've seen someone, and I honestly believe they probably have seen someone. They've seen Satan as an angel of light. I mean, that's, that's what the Bible says he'll come to us as, and he'll try to deceive the very faithful, the most faithful. And so, you know, this, this, this Satan hindering us, he hinders us today. He hinders us physically. Uh, he may hinder us financially. Uh, you know, these, these, things that, these things that are products or byproducts of, of the devil working in this world are designed nothing, to do nothing more than to separate you from God. That's all they're designed to do. You look at a child that has cancer. You look at Saint, uh, uh, the hospital in Memphis. St. Jude, thank you. It's St. Jude in Memphis. That breaks my heart. But there are people who will look at that and go, your God did this. Your God gave this child cancer. No, God didn't do that. God doesn't, God doesn't, hand, out, God doesn't hand out those kind of those kind of things, especially to children. And so, you know, we have to be very careful in thinking about things like this and thinking that, you know, this is God's work. This is not God's work. Yes, sir.
Well, it's, it's like the story that I've often told, all the number of years that I've lived in, in this town, uh, you know, after I got married, I thought that this was one of the most religious praying towns that I had ever lived in because at every stoplight, everybody had their head down. I thought, they were, I thought they were praying. No, they were just looking at their phones and they were just living their lives totally oblivious, you know. They didn't, you know, I thought, they were, I thought everybody was praying. Honestly, I, I thought we were so religious and it turns out, no, we, we weren't. So, chapter 3, let's begin there. We should be able to get through these 13 verses today because this is, this, is uh, this is fairly good stuff here. So, go ahead, uh-huh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Does he ever tempt us when we're here? Does he ever tempt us when we're sitting here in worship? How about during the Lord's Supper? Your mind start to wander off to something that you've got to do this afternoon or you've got something coming up this week and your mind gets focused on that and what happens? You lose your focus of the Lord's Supper where your mind is supposed to be at the foot of the cross. You're off at your business doing something or getting something ready. Oh, I've got to pack that bag tonight. I've got to do that. You've been distracted. You've been distracted. It's happened to me. I'm, I, it's happened to me. There has to be a focus, which is why when people ask me, well, you know, how do you keep your focus during the Lord's Supper? Well, read Psalms 22, read Psalms 23, and read Psalms 24. That's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. If you read those three chapters or something in the Bible to keep your mind focused, then it's hard to do. I'm not saying, I'm not saying, I, I'm not saying I got the answers. The Bible has the answers. Stay aware, stay alert. You've, you've got, you, it, he's, looking for, he's looking for anything that he could just stick that crowbar in and start that separation process. You've got to constantly be on alert. So, anyway. Okay, chapter 3. Therefore, what does that mean? That's a very key word. Therefore means what? I say something to you and then I say, therefore, what I, said, what I just said, therefore, now I'm going to make a conclusion. Therefore, based on all these things that I just said about the hope, the joy, the crown of exaltation, the separation, uh, the, the, the Satan sin, therefore, when we could no longer hold off, we thought it good to be left alone in Athens. So now he's, he is in Athens. This is where in Acts 17, he's going to speak at the Areopagus. He's going to give that unknown to the unknown God speech. We sent our brother Timothy, God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faithfulness that no one be shaken by these troubles. Now that's interesting. He calls Timothy God's fellow worker. Does, does anyone have a, a, a different word than fellow worker? Fellow laborer. Okay. I was trying to think. Here. Yeah, there it is. Okay, I'm chapter 2. Yeah. I mean, chapter 3, verse 2. Okay. So he, and, and, this, and this version that I have, the New King James Version says, and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God. Does anybody have minister of God? The King James does, yeah. So the word minister, if you look at that in the Greek, guess what the word is? Minister of God, the word minister, guess what that word is in the Greek? It's diakonos, which means a deacon. 
Now, it's not used in the traditional sense of, of a deacon. It, it's used in the traditional sense of someone who's a laborer. Okay, so he's a laborer. He's a minister of God. So we sent Timothy, our fellow minister, our fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and to encourage you. So he's going to do two things. The King James, the New King James says, to establish you. To establish you. When you establish someone, you strengthen them. So he's going to the church to strengthen, and he's going to the church to encourage. Okay, exhortation. Are those, the two th- are those two of the things that we do here when we come together to worship? Do we strengthen one another? We are constantly, we're constantly reminded that there are brethren in our congregation that are in our midst that are weak, that are, that are having problems. Satan is, is, is actively working on them, and we need to strengthen them. Now, how do we strengthen them? That's the most important part. How do you strengthen a fellow brother? How do you strengthen someone? Okay, you can encourage them. You can, you can say, you know, something like, I'm praying for you. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So you can pray for them. You can ask them if there's anything they need. Do you need, do you need anything? Are you, having some kind of a, are you having some kind of a physical problem or something? Uh, maybe you need a ride to an appointment or something. They're consumed by that worry because they don't know how they're going to get there. It could be the simplest thing that you could address so simply, so easily, by just helping them. And so you establish them, you strengthen them, and you encourage them. That's the second part of it, the encouragement part of it. When you're down... And someone encourages you, how does that make you feel? Make you feel worse? Never has for me. You know, when some, you know, some, uh, several people called the other day and, and you know, encouraged me. I, was, I, was, I wasn't feeling good. And so they encouraged me, and it made me feel better. It's amazing what, it's amazing what someone, uh, someone's card, someone's call... Someone's word of encouragement. You know, I'm really, I, I've really got a busy day today, but I just wanted to call you, take 30 seconds to tell you, I'm thinking about you. How much does that help? Oh, it helps me. Encourage you, strengthen you in your faithfulness so that no one be shaken. There's the end result. That's what we're aiming for. That's the end result, that we're not shaken by these troubles by these temptations, by this persecution that they're, in, they're, that they're enduring right now. They're enduring physical persecution from the Jews. And so he's calling, on, he's calling on Timothy to come and to encourage them, to strengthen them in their faithfulness. Maybe they weren't faithful. Maybe they weren't faithfully coming to services every time that the, that the doors were open, that no one be shaken by these troubles. You yourselves know that we are appointed for such troubles. So, you know, Paul says that you know, no one should be shaken by their afflictions, uh, for you know yourselves that you, were, you know, that you were appointed to this. For in fact, we were told, let me get back over here to this version, sorry. You yourselves know that we were appointed for such troubles. When we were with you, we told you beforehand that we were to be troubled even as it happened, as you know. What is he talking about being troubled? Suffering the tribulation from the Jews coming into town and raising, raising a ruckus and, you know, causing them to have to flee. 
So, you know, that we were appointed for such troubles. You knew these things were coming because we told you beforehand that we were to be troubled. We'd been troubled in Philippi before we came to, to Thessalonica. We were troubled after Thessalonica and Berea. He was troubled in Athens. He was troubled in Corinth. He was troubled in Rome. Wherever he went, Paul was troubled. He was appointed for such troubles. Now, how could he have avoided being troubled? How could Paul have avoided all of this trouble? How could he have avoided it? By not saying anything. He just go about his business. Are you Paul? Aren't you Paul? Aren't you the preacher? No, that's not me. That's not me. Aren't you the one, aren't, aren't you the one that was preaching over here? The, no, 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 that wasn't me. And that's how sometimes, hopefully to our shame that we don't do that, but sometimes when people ask us, do the people, do the people where you work know you're a Christian? Do the people where you go to school, do the people where you labor in whatever activity it is you're in, whether you're, retirement, whether you're retired and you see people at the McDonald's every morning for coffee, do all those people know you're a Christian? If not, why not? You want to just, are you, are you just not saying anything to avoid trouble? Sure. That's, you know, that's a, that's a very interesting portion, and I don't know if any of you have ever watched it, but I, I watch it occasionally. The Passion of the Christ, the Mel Gibson movie, The Passion of the Christ. Well, and there, I mean, there was, a, there was a lot in that because everywhere, everywhere that Peter went, do you see, did you see who was standing in the shadows? Where you couldn't see him. You, you couldn't see, but you could see an outline of who it was, but you, you couldn't, you really couldn't see who he was, but he was always in the shadows. It was Satan. Sure. Oh no, no, no. We don't realize we don't realize how bad it was. Oh, you were yeah. You were asking for trouble, but you know, you know. Well, I look at what Christ did for me. If I got out of my car this morning, and I'll ask you this question: If you got out of your car this morning and you came up to the doors to come in, and there was a man standing at the door and said, "You can't worship here now." This is this is closed off. You're not allowed. You're not allowed to come in and worship anymore. What would you do? What would you do? That's a rhetorical question. I'm not asking for an answer. 
Is a day coming where something like that is a real possibility? I don't know. The world, the world is very, the world is very anti, the world is very anti-Christian right now, and it's not getting any better. It's not getting any better. So what would you do? It's a rhetorical question. You have to answer that. That's that man in the, that's that man or woman in the mirror. You have to go home today and look in the mirror and go, if someone told me I couldn't go into worship today, what would I do? Would you be willing to say something? Do something? Or would you just turn around, get back in your car, and go home? So when I could hold off no longer, verse 5. I sent to know about your faithfulness. Paul is separated from them by distance. And he doesn't know, he can't, he can't, text, he can't text them and say, how's, how is, how's everything going at Thessalonica? You guys doing okay? Do you need anything? Can't pick up the phone. Can't send a telegraph. Can't bang two rocks together. No smoke signals. He has no way of knowing. He's planted this church. This church has appeared to be very faithful. He's hearing good things about them from the outside. He's, he, but he's not, he's not been able to get back to visit them anymore. He doesn't know what's going on. So he, you know, he said, when I can hold off no longer, I had to send someone to, know about your, to find out about your faithfulness, whether perhaps the tempter had tempted you and our labor had been in vain. How many churches do you know today that because of time, and no children coming into the audience, and I can name two or three in this general area within 50 miles. The congregations are growing older. There's no new blood coming in. There's no new Christian families coming in with little ones who are going to grow up in a church. These churches, if they're not, if they're not growing, they're dying. That, that's only the, the only two options. You're either growing as a church or you're dying. And Paul didn't know. It's just like today, we don't know. Now we have other means of getting hold of people. But Paul didn't know in this day, are you all thriving in your faithfulness? Or perhaps the tempter has tempted you and, and, and uh, everything we've done, just down the toilet. Just nothing left. Church just fell apart. Everybody went back to worshiping idols and, and uh, you know, living, living, a, living a life of sin. But now Timothy has come to us from you. So he had sent Timothy at some point back to uh, or be back over to Thessalonica and find out, you know, what's going on. And now Timothy's come back. Verse 6, but now Timothy has come to us from you, and he's brought the good news to us of your faithfulness and love. It's interesting that the good news here is the same as is translated, is brought the news of the gospel. The, the gospel is the good news of Christ, but in this case, the, the Greek renders it the same as He's brought us news that the gospel is flourishing, that, there's a, that, there's, that there is good news to report. He's brought us the good news of your faithfulness and your love and that you have a fond, that you have a fond remembrance of us always. Notice how Paul always said, and he never hardly ever says I, he always says either we or us. He's always talking in a larger sense. In most instances in First and Second Thessalonians, he's talking about Silas and Timothy and himself. We. So he's always, he's always deferring to the group, the we, not I and not us. And so we have that you have fond remembrance of us because the three of them came there, Silas, um, Timothy, and, and Paul, yearning to see us even as we also to see you. So see, the feeling was mutual. The feeling was mutual. 
There are those of you who are visiting with us today that your home congregation is missing you this morning. They're missing you this morning because, man, you know, that pew right there always has those two people in it, and it's empty this morning. There's nobody there. And so if they have fond remembrance of you as you travel away, just as you have fond remembrance of them and are wanting to get back home. There's, there's nothing better than going to visit somewhere and visit a congregation. But what's always, what's always the preeminent thought? The preeminent thought is, man, I just want to get back home. I just want to get back home. Sure, yeah. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. On this earth and to come, there's no place like home. Yearning to see us, even as we also uh, are to see you. Therefore, therefore, again, based on what he said before in this chapter and before, therefore, therefore, brothers, we were encouraged about you in our every trial and trouble by your faithfulness. Now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. What thanks can we render to God concerning you because of all our rejoicing over you before our God? Fervently we are praying night and day to see your face and to complete the things lacking in your faith. So this was not a, this was not a fully grown, fully mature church. This was a church that was, that was a seed church that had started out, and they did really well. Paul is very happy with the, where they are, but they're facing temptation. They're facing trials, and he's praying that he can get back to see them again and complete the things that are lacking, helping them continue to grow, just as we do with Christians here. So we've had several baptisms in the last couple weeks. Those people need to be encouraged. They need to be strengthened, just as they did at Thessalonica. They need to be encouraged and strengthened to complete the things that are lacking in their faith. Nobody comes up out of the water of baptism knowing everything. I mean, I grew up in the Church of Christ, and I've, I've, I've been a member of Church of Christ. I've, I've never gone anywhere else, and I don't know everything. I'm still learning day by day. So how... How does that reflect on someone who's just been a Christian for 30 minutes? They got a lot to learn. Where are they going to learn it? They're going to learn it in church service, yes. They're going to learn that in Bible class, yes. But where are they going to learn the day-to-day -day attributes of what a Christian looks like? Look at the person to your left. Look at the person to your right. That's how they're going to learn Sure. Adopted children. We're, we're all adopted. Right. But many times I've seen it over the years, and you all know, people come up out of the watery grave of baptism, and they're faithful for a few weeks, maybe a few months, and then what? We don't see them anymore. They don't, you don't see them anymore. They don't come on Sunday morning. They don't come on Sunday night. They never come. They never come when the doors are open ever again. What happened? Did they get discouraged? Did Satan tempt them? Did Satan hinder them in some way? So see, Lehman Avenue has a, lot, has a lot in common with this church at Thessalonica. We're very well known to the outside world, other churches of Christ. We're very well known. We're told that all the time. 
Hopefully someone's just not blowing smoke. We're very well known. I've gone places where they say, oh, when I go to Pikeville or something like that on, on business, I, people say, oh, you, Lehman Avenue, we've heard about you. I'm, not, I'm never sure, okay, what have you heard? <laughs> tell me something, tell me one thing good. Okay, good, it's a good thing. Go ahead. One thing that I've always spoken with the elders about on many occasions, and I make, no, I make no bones about it, I think that every new Christian ought to have at least one or two mentors, especially if they're young. What does that mean? Well, Alcoholics Anonymous has a program where if you get into a situation where you need to call, you're thinking about having a drink, what can you call? Who can you call? You call a, they call it a sponsor, I think. You call someone who can help you through that, through that area. New Christians are going to have a million questions. How do I respond to this? And I've always said to the, I've, I've, I've made mention of this many times to the elders, I think there ought to be mentors. Now, people could volunteer to be a mentor, or there could be a group of people who study together possibly and, and you know, have a Wednesday night class or a Sunday morning class about mentoring new Christians. New Christian classes, I think we might be having one now. I think it, it may be, there may be one going on right now. But that's a good thing. Because people come, people come to become a Christian and they're, they can become rudderless. I mean, they, they have, they're, they're tossed about by every wind of doctrine. That sound familiar? There are some people out there who just, I mean, they, they just need someone to say, I'm having a problem understanding this. Can you help me? Well, no, I'm, I, I can't help you, but I know who can. It's a hand-holding. It's a mentorship. We all ought to be mentoring these people. We all ought to be calling them and giving them words of encouragement, strengthening them, strengthening them and encouraging them. May our God and Father himself. Go ahead. Oh, sure. They've got to go outside those doors. Well, and that's clearly evident by those who have been baptized and then we never see them again. That's very, that's very evident. May our God and Father, verse 11, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. May the Lord make your love for one another and for all to increase, make, sorry, make your love for one another and for all to increase and overflow even as ours does for you. Man, does this guy love this church or what? He loves this church. These are the same things that we should be saying about Lehman Avenue. These are the same things that, that we should be saying about other churches of Christ who we work with. May he establish your hearts, blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. Amen. And so all of the things in the short time that we have left before the second bell, all of the things that Paul talked about the church at Thessalonica about are things that we should be doing here actively at Lehman Avenue. We should be encouraging someone who is experiencing trials and troubles in their faithfulness. We are encouraged.
when they're encouraged to stand fast in the Lord. We rejoice over those who have come home, those who have sinned and come back. They've, they've repented of their sins. We should embrace them. We should love them. We should pray for them night and day. And we should be anxious to see their faces. Every Sunday, every time the doors are open, we should be anxious to see each other's faces, to encourage one another and strengthen one another. Because as someone mentioned last week, we're, gonna be, we're all going to be in heaven together. And, you know, what a, better, what, what a better way is to live now for that eternal prize and to help take others with us. You know, um, we used to have an elder that, that used to pray in every prayer that he gave that, that there not be one among us in this place that's lost. And we need to make sure, you know, through that encouragement, through that prayer, through that activity, through that phone call, whatever you can do to encourage someone as Paul encouraged these folks at Thessalonica to do this. So next week we begin talking about, um, he begins turning toward um, daily Christian living, things that are affecting this church, things that are affecting us every day. You're going to see in chapter 4 that a lot of the things that church at Thessalonica was facing are things we face on a daily basis. And so if you all make it back next week, we'd love to see you. Thank you very much.